0: All right, Frank. Uh, well, thank you so much for doing this with me. I uh, I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thanks, thanks. Thanks for having, for having me. You. I love coming on and getting to yeah, talk, talk and, and spend a little time chatting with people. So it's a, it's a gift.
0: <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. You know, when I uh, when I first started this podcast, uh, you were actually on my short list of people that I would have loved to get on because uh, as a comic creator myself, I'm you know I just look at what you're doing not only with Dead End Kids but with your um, uh, with your anthology, uh, Project Grief, and then now with No Heroin, uh, just everything that you're doing is just not only really inspirational, but just, uh, you know, remarkable. So, you know, I'm just really honored to have you on here, and I'd love to kind of pick your brain and see kind of how you went from someone thinking about making comics to someone who's, you know, really doing it at a really high level.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate the kind words. It's it's always nice to know that, you know, people are seeing what's happening and, and that it's, inspiring other people because it's not easy. Um, and, and me getting to this point was, it was a lot of work. Um, and I'm glad it's, it's paying off and, and people are taking notice and it's helping.
0: Yeah. I, uh, you know, one thing that I've noticed, cause, um, you know, I kind of see a lot what you're doing on social media and stuff. The one thing that I think is really cool is how active you are with like the collectors in different groups and how you want to give them, uh, like the variant covers and the, the extra perks? Is that something that you have always wanted to do? Or is it like a conscious decision? Kind of how, how does that go about?
1: Uh, you know, it's it's a process. It evolves um, and it's evolved over time. Uh, if we could just rewind for a second, give a little context um, for my day job and for you know, my, my life career, that's not comics. Uh, I work in marketing. Uh, I've pretty much only ever worked in marketing, but in, in various kinds of marketing. Uh, but in my, my current position, I work at a startup here in San Francisco. Uh, we're a financial technology company that does loans for underserved uh, people in the U.S., people who have a hard time accessing credit because their credit history is, is short or because they're uh, not ideal borrowers. Um, and I am the sole marketing person for the company, so uh, it's... It's a lot of me doing a lot of different things. Uh, primarily, it's it's web marketing, sort of search engine optimization and, and content generation and, and management, which is, which helps with comics in general. Um, but it's it's a really sort of breakneck kind of job. We're we're trying lots of experiments and, and doing a lot of you know sort of data collection and stuff like that. Really kind of mundane, boring stuff. Um, but it's it's primed to me to be. A really thoughtful uh, comic book marketer in a lot of ways and and one of the biggest takeaways from working in like a small scrappy company like this is that audience acquisition you know the, the fans you have and the fans you'll get is is a hundred percent the the responsibility of the creator um, and that's kind of led me to kind of trying to think outside the box and, and figuring out where people are and, and what they're looking for in a book and, and how I can deliver that and, and sort of onboard the most people onto, you know, for lack of a, a, a better word, because I don't really like this word, but for lack of a better word, uh, onto my brand. Uh, so onto Dead End Kids, onto Grief, onto No Heroin. Um, and, and I think that that approach has been really helpful um, in, in bringing new people into sort of awareness of, of myself and my projects.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, this branding word sometimes is kind of, um, kind of like a dirty word and like the creative person, I think in everyone doesn't want to use it, um, or, or wants to like latch onto it, but it's something that every creator needs to do because if you're not the biggest cheerleader of your work, I mean, who else is going to be?
1: Exactly. Exactly. I always, I use this sort of analogy or, or, or comparison a lot. Um, but, uh. it's it's my favorite one um if if you're the next alan moore and you write the next watchman and and no one knows about it doesn't matter right you have to people have to know and and like that again is the responsibility of the creator getting your name out there and getting the names of your books out there is is on you and the the more you put into that the more you're going to get out of it
0: yeah and i I definitely kind of um i I definitely see seeing you do it from your like the variant covers that you're doing with no heroin which are all awesome by the way like the collaborators that uh, you've got on board with that stuff has just been uh, just really inspiring to see. It makes me want to reach out and do better things with the books that I'm creating as far as like getting variant covers and uh, reaching different audiences. Um, but kind of, I'd like to just rewind just a, a little bit. How did you go from um, someone who's going you know, in the tech industry and working in startups to someone who's also writing comic books? How did that kind of, how did this kind of transformation kind of happen for you
1: who I get that question a lot and and it's always a much longer answer than most people anticipate um but I'll, I'll try and like do the the cliff notes version of it if I can um so I've been reading comics for like regularly as a, a buyer and collector and fan like for for about 20 years um I've been into comics and comics related stuff longer than that I grew up on Batman the Animated Series and TMNT and Spider Man and, and X Men the animated series like yeah, I'm a, a 90s kid through and through, um, but uh, when I got to high school, uh, I started collecting like for for real, um, and I just I loved what comics did. Um, I always wanted to be a writer since since as long as I can remember, and I yeah I, I like all kinds of writing narrative, uh, poetry, prose, uh, nonfiction. Like I I, I kind of like it all. I just like the the puzzle of putting words together um but uh around the time I was 17 18 I was like I think comics comics is the way I want to do it um and then I went to college and I essentially built my college career around the idea of preparing myself to make comics um so I've got four degrees uh the first two are a, a general english lit degree uh figured studying story would help uh I have a communications degree cuz I figured that was kind of like the missing link between you know taking literature into the modern world you know like how does that look so i've done a lot of journalism i ran my school's newspaper so i could learn print design and, and print process you know prepping files for print um, project management what it's like to collaborate uh, then i went to grad school i have two graduate degrees uh, one in sort of general creative writing and then an mfa in poetry which surprisingly was the most helpful of all the degrees for me personally when it came to making comics Uh, Then I graduated uh, my second grad school term in January of 2011, and for about five years, I did nothing. I made zero comics. I had a a few false starts, um, but uh, life happened, you know, like you you get out of college, you start working a full-time job, and you're commuting, and, and, you know social things, uh, maybe you find you know a boyfriend, girlfriend partner, somebody who's, who's in your life and taking up a considerable chunk of it and you don't mind. Um, and, and kind of yeah, comics, for as much as I always had them on my mind, kind of got away from me. Um, and then in late 2005, I was at a job that was, was awesome. I was at a software company in New Jersey where I grew up. Um, it paid really well. The, the work for me was really easy. Um, the benefits were awesome. Like really, nothing, nothing inherently bad about the job. It was a great situation, um, but it wasn't what I wanted to do, um, and I wasn't happy in the work, like fulfilled. Um, and then uh, I was living with my my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Um, and it was it was November, December of twenty fifteen, and. I don't know. It's just kind of been a, like a funk and, you know, around the holidays, I'm usually pretty perky. I, I, I love seeing family and friends and stuff. And like my, my girlfriend noticed and she asked me what was up and I just kind of, you know, let loose and, and, and walked her through what I was going through. And, and that conversation kind of led to a conversation about her asking me, <clears throat> well, what would you want to be doing? What would, would, what would make you happy? Um, and, and I didn't really have an answer. I didn't know what I wanted uh other than to make comics and i knew that that's kind of like a pipe dream really hard to break into kind of a lot of ropes to learn kind of situation that it was so far away from Um, but for lack of having an answer i just i threw it out there kind of put it out into the ether and i said yeah i want to make comics um and that conversation went on till till probably two or three in the morning like it just really was a good conversation between her and i her and me um and it, it ended with her essentially telling me that I should if I if that's what I wanted to do, I should do it. And and she asked me, Well, what would it take? And I said, I I don't even know. I I'd probably if I had one year, if I had one year where I could focus on just that, figure out what I need to do, get projects rolling, start making connections, I think I could build myself a foundation to, to springboard forth from. And and that conversation ended with her telling me that I should take that year off that we' we'll, we'll figure out making the mortgage work and and you know keeping food on the table and, and we'll, we'll make it work and and I, I pushed back a lot and but in the end she convinced me that it was the right move and I am grateful to this day um, so I ended up taking all of 2016 off from working um, I, I, I did some side jobs I did some um, sort of freelance stuff to, to keep food on the table, so to speak, um, and so that way my girlfriend wasn't supporting me. Um, <clears throat> but uh, essentially, I you know for twelve months from nine to five and sometimes longer, seven days a week, I was at my computer reading and studying comics. I I got enrolled at the Comics Experience program with Andy Schmidt, which was eye opening and revelatory. I was had my nose to the grindstone. I was I was writing comics. I was putting scripts together, I was revising, I was connecting with artists. I, I traveled a bit to, to some of the bigger conventions so I could network. Um, and I really, you know, I had I had this incredible gift of being able to take a year off work and not having to worry too much about things. And, and I, I made the most of it because that's a really rare special opportunity and I wasn't gonna waste it. And, and to this day, I still think back on that. And, and, you know, every morning when I wake up, I say, I gotta go write comics. So it's that year
0: was a waste. Man, that is an absolutely amazing story. Um, there's like so much I could like dive into. First thing is like I'm, a, I'm actually an English teacher by trade and I have a uh, English degree and a master's in literature. So um, it was actually kind of nice to hear that uh, you're, you're using the, uh, the poetry degree that you have uh, in comics. Like before I dive into everything else, like how, is, wh- how or why was that uh, the most kind of uh, useful to you?
1: Yeah, for, for a couple of reasons. And, and some of it is, is craft specific and some of it is specific to the program I, I was in. Um, I did sort of uh, a non-traditional program for, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, a grad program designed for, for professionals. So the long and short of it was we would do 10-day, all-day on-site boot camps at the school uh, during like, when the school's on break. So we do one in January and one over the summer. Um, and it was me and all the other people in the program and all of the, the professors and mentors. And it was just seminars and, and readings and, and, you know, group lunches and, and all kinds of like, you know, really robust and, and thorough Uh, experiences for 10 days and then the rest of the semester was a one-on-one independent study with one of the the mentors Um, so that was you know in a lot of ways there's there's a lot to take like I think um, sort of the one-on-one with mentors helped me kind of really understand the importance of mentors and seeking them out and, and, and people who know more than I do to be able to learn from, from what they have, which is what kind of put me on track with comic experience. Like I, I, it was a really easy decision because it's so much easier to learn from somebody who's already learned something than to figure it out yourself. Um, but also the, the writing process for poetry for me was really, really heavy with revision. Like that was a really big part of it and, and, and taking feedback. Um, when, when I write poems, which I don't nearly often enough anymore, but it's, it's very much about getting a draft down, no matter how good it is. And then the real work starts when you go back to revise, turning lines around, moving things around on the page, rearranging, throwing out stuff that doesn't work, sort of writing toward the right version of something. And like, that's all stuff that I do with comics. Like for me, when I'm writing like a four issue miniseries, um, it's it's you know i i for one week i just write every day as much as i can and get it out like i just vomit out the draft and then i let it sit for a while and then i come back to it and then i start revising and and taking things on and off the page turning around lines of dialogue trying to find the best version of a scene um and and like that's all because of what i learned writing poetry like and and it's super clear to me that, that those two things are inherently linked
0: yeah, I know uh, Andy. I don't know Andy Smith personally, but I know um, of having comic comics experience. And I know they. Uh, one thing I um, I saw they have the comic um, archive, um, where comic book archive. And then actually, your script is it for grief? I think is in there yeah. that I saw. And one thing I thought that was really interesting that um, separated. Right away, I saw that was different from your scripts with a lot of the other scripts in there. Is that kind of your your um, scene, kind of your panel description, if you will, uh, is is really short and kind of concise? Is that something that you've honed along the way, uh, or is that something that you were just playing with as you uh, just started? Because I think Grief was your first uh, kind of published big published work, right? Yeah, it's
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's the first, first ten thing. things I ever wrote. Uh, it's you know, I I I have been very lucky that. I've never written a script that hasn't been made so far. Uh, and, and so far everything's on its track to be published, which is pretty cool. Um, and that's that's just me being tenacious. Like it's not that it's necessarily good. I just, I grind really hard to make things happen. Um, but uh, when I was developing my, my script template, um, I, I pulled from a lot of sources and, and kind of thought about like what works for me on the page. And, and I am very much a person who likes to work under pressure. Um, like I, I, perform better under a tight deadline that's closing in than I do with a wide window. Like it's just, it's just how I, I work. Um, and because comics is such a long game with like creating content and, and marketing it, I have to impose those deadlines sort of artificially um, because you can't be writing the script for you know issue four of a series as issue four is being solicited. You'll never make the deadline. Um, so a lot of my script format is about. Uh, making sure that it is concise and clear, um, especially since a lot of the artists I work with aren't native English speakers or first language uh, English speakers. Uh, Nenad Savitakanen, who did half of Grief and who did all of Dead End Kids, uh, he's Eastern European um, and his grasp of English is really good but it's not its not like a, a back one-on-one on one back and forth that, that goes well every time and perfectly and there's sometimes clarification needed. So I just, uh, because I worked with him so early, I I got the benefit of, of realizing that like clarity is more important than like having little jokes in there for the artist. Like I've seen scripts where, where the artists and and the writer are are buddies and they kind of, yeah, it's, it's very comfortable and lax and, and, you know, a lot is playful. and, And for me that that's distracting. Um, so I just, I go for like, What's the clearest, most concise way I can tell what needs to be in this, this panel? And, and for, for dialogue, I, just, I think less is more. Like I think um, there's a great story about Joss Whedon uh, in the writer's room for Buffy, which is my favorite show of all time. Um, and, and there's uh, this big paragraph of, of dialogue, and they need to, to really scale it back. Um, and Joss is just sitting in front of this whiteboard looking at the paragraph and he and he sits there for about an hour, and you know, the other writers are just kind of waiting for him to do something. Um, and and after forty five minutes or so, he just erases everything that was there and writes five words on the board, and it captures everything the paragraph said, and and more beautifully than than what was there. And like that's always stuck in my mind is like that's that's what I'm writing towards. I want to say as much as I can with as few words as possible, because in comics you have the art and the art tell so much of the story so like why do I want to cover that with words I don't think that that's that's the best way to go about it um so I mean there's there's a lot of reasons um and honestly like at the end of the day my script template lets me be super lazy like it's just it gets it's easy to get it done because there's so many fewer words and um yeah it's it's essentially an Ikea instruction booklet like just as little information as I can put in there to to
0: create the thing for the artist. Yeah, I think that's, it's really interesting. I was at a, um, a panel at C2E2, because I'm, I'm in Chicago, and um, it was a couple years back now, maybe five or six, and I forget who was up there, but they were talking about writing scripts, and they were talking about, you know, there's no right way to do it, and uh, they were talking about how Alan Moore writes, like, in like two <laughs> full pages for one panel, and then mm-hmm. they were talking about someone else who's, you know, equally as complex. Uh, and then they said, you know, then there's um, Warren Ellis, who there's this huge um, like fight scene, and all he wrote on his panel or on his description was they engage, and that was like it, and that was enough for the artist to um, to like get the work done and like have it, you know have it you know his free will or reign over it. Um, if you will and it's really interesting I've you know I've had that very same experience with uh, my artists Um, every artist that I've worked with so far has been uh, not a native uh, English speaker either and so just like tweaking like tweaking some of my dialogue or or not my dialogue but my panel descriptions or what I want there to just make it as easy as possible um, has really helped me um, as a writer just to kind of cut the fat from what's, uh, what I'm writing. So it was really kind of encouraging to hear that you're you're doing something very similar. And um, what I really like, too, is uh, all of your, your stories from Dead End... I haven't read No Heron yet, but Dead End Kids and everything in grief, um, they all kind of follow... They all have this sense of, like, um, this, this emotional attachment but also like detachment like something something's really going going on in the background of all these characters is this like a, a this type of theme something that you you're consciously exploring or something that's just kind of by happenstance or how does that come about uh
1: for me story is is really i mean there's 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 two things and this is part of sort of my storytelling um Sort of uh, sensibilities, I guess. Um, I read a book called Story, uh, which is it's a screenwriting textbook by uh, Robert McKee, uh, but it really does tap into sort of you know, storytelling in general. And it was one of the the three books I'd say really opened my mind to like be understanding story as well as I can. Um, and he differentiated between story and plot, um, which can get a little little wishy-washy and gray because you know those. Words get used interchangeably but the way he defines story is uh, or plot first plot is what happens and story is what the character goes through as the plot is happening um it's what arc versus plot i guess um and and that always stuck with me um and and when i started writing i kind of set down some pillars for myself of like what kind of storyteller i wanted to be what kind of stories i wanted to tell and how i would tell them and one of the things i said is you know it's sort of Character is more important than than plot, um, and and you know because for me when I when I hear about a cool book you know it's 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 deadly class you know it's it's a secret assassin school in San Francisco in the eighties with a punk rock edge to it like that that's a great idea I love that idea I, I'm gonna immediately check out that book, and when I read the first issue and it's this great character study, and and you know it makes me invest in the characters like Rick Remender does, I'm gonna come back for number two people come to comics for concept they stay for character like that's it it's not necessarily true or untrue but that's my view of stories uh and it it seems to have worked out um so i really you know spend a lot of time figuring out who the characters are and what they're going through and then i worry about plot and genre like a good character with with a problem and a change that you want to see that character make is is what drives every one of my stories. In in Dead End Kids, you know, it's it's about Murphy coming to terms with his anger and and his situation and and, you know, the, the reality of childhood trauma and and how does that affect him? Is it is he gonna become a good or bad person because of what's happening to him? Does he have a choice? Those are the kinds of things I was interested in exploring in that book. And then you know, it's on top of that, it's it's a murder mystery and a, a coming of age story. Like it's, uh, so for me, it's always character arc, uh, sort of. You know, what kind of terrible backstory can I imagine for these characters? How can I stick the knife in and twist it and make things worse for them? Um, it, but weirdly, like everything ends up a little bit hopeful by the end. Of it. Like I tend to write dark stories that are hopeful, which is kind of a paradox. Um, but yeah, like for me, it's you know, it's just about making sure that people give a shit about the characters like it's that's that's the most important thing to me
0: yeah i'm very much a a character first uh type of writer um i guess are you uh i I always like asking this um are you are you like an sounds like you're an outline guy a pretty heavy outline guy or are you just kind of like i'm gonna write see what happens and then go to the revision
1: oh yeah no i'm 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 a hundred percent a measure twice cut once kind of guy it's just it it's too it's too messy and unorganized to to just write and see what happens and then you know like that's how you end up with plot holes and, and things that don't make sense uh so for me generally like the, the broad outline of how i develop a story is I'll, I'll get an idea for a story and i'll live with it for a long time um and kind of think on it and, and kind of mold it a little bit and, and let it sort of process in the background and then eventually like i'll i'll feel like I have enough to, to start with. Um, and then it's, a re- I've got a, a really great system in place for, for how I develop stories, questions I ask myself, um, sort of, you know, ha- tricks for how I build out the cast, etc. And I and I go through those motions and work towards writing uh, sort of a, an issue-by-issue long-form version of the story, and then sort of retroactively breaking that into pages, and then then the scripting happens. Uh, I'd say scripting is 20 or less percent of the process for me, maybe even 10, um, if, if you're gonna separate the first scripting from, from the, the revisions. Um, but yeah, it's I am so much a planner.
0: Yeah, I have a very similar process. I, I tell everyone, or I like to tell everyone, everyone like about 80% of all my writing is done in my head where like I just I just sit and think and think and think um, and I try not to write anything down because I've found that sometimes it like interrupts my imagination. I kind of like just want to hit play on the movie and let the movie play. And once I have a good chunk of that figured out, that world kind of constructed in my head, then I go and I do the exact same thing. Like I take like a, a legal pad and I write it long form out. Um, and I, for whatever reason, like writing it out long form before I even hit the, the scripting page. Um, I get most of all the kinks and, and, and all that, all the stuff that's gonna hang you up. I usually get all of that out. In that uh in that long form page and it's it's nice too because i could just take my pen and cross things out and it could be as messy as possible and no one's going to see it and i feel like you know as writers we don't have like clay to start molding until we put stuff on a page and i feel like me writing a long form is me you know creating the clay and then i can mold it from there so it's kind of it's really interesting that you have a very kind of similar process um Which is, you know, it's really cool. Um, So where, I guess, kind of, this is kind of a hard cut or segue, but definitely definitely, one thing that I thought was really interesting uh, with Dead End Kids was the the feel and atmosphere I got uh, from that story. Um, Like, it felt like early 2000s. Like, um, am I right on like, was that what you were going for? Like early 2000s kids? And um, like, it just is a really interesting time period. Was that like somewhere where you wanted to explore? Or is that just kind of something that after you created the characters, that's where you felt that that's where they belonged?
1: Ah uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so the book is set in nineteen ninety nine. So it's basically the early two thousands. Uh, it's it's December nineteen ninety nine, in fact. So it's essentially the new year, new millennium. Um, and and part of it was sometimes I I put the cart before the horse, and and that's not always the best way to do stories, but sometimes I do it. Um, and I love stories like Stand by Me, the Stand lot, or the stand, the Sand Lot, uh, Stephen King's It, like. Um, stand by me and it in particular are, are two of my favorite stories and I love coming of-age stories I love um, sort of the found friends you know in place of your family that sucks sort of stories um, and and I always wanted to tell my version of one of those um, but I also had some sort of problems with the genre of, of how things go in them and like how they don't necessarily reflect my experience of having grown up um uh, in, in the mid and late nineties with, with my friends and, and, you know, the way things were back then. Um, but also like there's, we're seeing more of it now and I don't want to say that I was ahead of the trend, but I, I, I definitely was at the beginning of it. Um, we're, we're starting to see those coming of age stories for kids in the late nineties and early two thousands. So that's, that's 20 years ago or more at this point. And, and we're finally getting, you know, those, those stories that speak to us. Um, Jonah Hill did a movie, um, two years ago i think that i can't remember the name of it but it was it was about you know skateboarding kids in in the 90s and sort of that that coming of age modern feel to it like it was it was a great movie oh god i'm gonna remember the name by the end of this interview i promise um but uh we're we're starting to see more you know kids on bike stories set in set in the late 80s and early 90s and late 90s and and the the, the window on that is shifting and, and i was interested in making sure that i got to tell a story like that because i hadn't seen one before um so it's just it's it's it was a little bit of wish fulfillment like there was a book i wish existed so i i I made it um and yeah so it's it's you know got that early 2000s feel because it's set right about then uh and a lot of that was was uh on the art, honestly, like you've seen my scripts, we've talked about them. They're, they're pretty lean. I don't put in a lot of details because I don't want to stifle the artist or over direct. Um, so the only times I really call for things in the background or in the atmosphere or, um, on the page is when I want to go for a certain effect or it, it's really important to the story, everything else I kind of leave free for them. Um, so when we were putting together the first volume of dead end kids, uh, Nana and I, uh, we kind of talked, went back and forth. Um, Nenad's a bit older than me. I don't know how old he is, honestly, but I want to say he's a good 10 years older than me. So his view of the, the 90s and the early 2000s is a little more crisp than mine because I was only 12, 13, 14 around then. Um, so like we relied a lot on his memory, um, but also with me kind of filtering it because he's not American. Um, so his perception of that time period in the U S is filtered through pop culture. And, and um, so it was really like a, a little bit of a synergistic relationship between Nana and I kind of refining the, the feel of the book, but I, I, it's so much of it was on him. Um, and, and yeah, I'm incredibly grateful for that because I think the book really landed as being very authentic. Um, and I think a lot of people respond really well to that. Um, and I, it's 95% because he was on the book.
0: Yeah, I grew up, you know, around the same age, around the, the same time. and um, It really resonated with me. Like, it felt like I remember having conversations about Y2K with, like, my parents and, like, the, them going very similar, uh, like, that opening few pages um, mm. that you have there. And what's interesting, you know, I'm, I'm uh, in Chicago, and so, like, the, the wintry on-the-ice stuff, like, I definitely related to. Was that setting some, somewhere where you wanted to explore, or how did that kind of come about? Because I think that's, it's a really interesting kind of choice for this kind of, you know, coming-of-age story.
1: Yeah, you know, the, the setting was kind of built into the idea. Um, the, the book is about death. Like, there's a dead kid on, on page two. Um, so, like, the idea, yeah, just, like, from a metaphor, sort of associative level, like, winter is the season of, where things die. Um, it also made sense to put it as close to the, the new millennium as possible because the, the book is really about, you know, change. Um, and that was at that time the, the biggest most pop culture change you know that it permeated everything um in those last months of, of 1999 um so it's just kind of like a lot of symbolic and, and sort of weirdly poetic reasons for for the winter setting um also the the ice uh factor plays a lot into the plot and and some of the the tension um so it was it was a setting that kind of lent itself to I think telling a a good fun story or fun, not fun, but, (laughs) um, but, uh, yeah. And, and just, uh, there, there was really no setting specific specified in the, in the, um, script, uh, Nanad knows that I grew up in New Jersey and New Jersey is one of those sort of lower, uh, northeast states that gets all four winters in in moderation so we get snowy winters with with frozen lakes and bays and we get you know colorful falls and and hot summers and and you know tepid springs um so i think between him knowing where i grew up and and the needs of the story he kind of just drew it there um which i was never going to argue with there aren't enough stories set in new jersey and new jersey gets a bad rap for no reason um so yeah just I mean it it was a lot of poetic reason and a lot of convenience reason uh for setting it there and and just a little serendipity you know you can't you can't plan everything, but you can always take the winds that give themselves to you
0: yeah for for sure you know as uh as someone who lives in Chicago, I completely understand uh everything that new jersey's you know the the harsh winters and stuff do you uh kind of like a little aside do you miss them living in uh san francisco do you miss the the, all the different seasons and stuff or like absolutely no way
1: I, i think i do and then and then i'll go visit the east coast and i remember why part of why i moved um i moved because my wife's family's out here uh but uh yeah, no, I do. Like, I mean, like, I'm one of those people who weirdly likes shoveling snow, at least the first time, like, before it becomes tiresome. Um, like, I think there's something, like, kind of zen about that. And raking leaves. Um, I, I love the fall. Like, I'm a, I am was born in October, so, like, I've always kind of been attached to the fall, and I like that time of year. Um, and, you know, we're in, in the fall now at, here in San Francisco, and it's the same 65, 70 degrees it is most of the year. And, you know, it's not really any cooler. And, and I, I miss that. Um, I definitely miss the fall. Um, I grew up in a beach town, so I, I miss the summers too. Like the the Atlantic Ocean is much more welcoming than the Pacific, especially up here in in the Bay Area. Like it's it's pretty dangerous to go swimming here, uh, so I miss that. Um, never really cared about spring. I'm not a big winter person. I, I like the holidays, but uh, outside of the snow at like five o'clock in the morning after it's just finished like being like it's really like quiet zen place and then the shoveling um it's really a pain in the ass so i don't miss that so much like I, I like being able to drive and not have to dig out my car um so yeah it's just you know it's i go back and forth and i feel different ways different times here and in, in, in different
0: days yeah i I, uh, I tell my wife all the time if you know our family wasn't here in chicago um soon as winter hits I would I would move immediately because sometimes it's just brutal but yeah I uh, I totally get it the 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 zenness of it. it it's there's something about um you know after a hard winter and getting to spring or summer um and how everyone like in your community is looking forward to that and once it actually hits there's really nothing, nothing better than that, like that, and you know it's only going to last for a certain amount of time, so, like, there's this weird kind of camaraderie that a lot of people that have, you know, a lot of communities that go through harsh winters have to deal with, so I think that's, it's interesting, but, you know, I'm always envious of people that have come from a cold, you know, a place that gets really cold and then goes to, like, California or somewhere where it's always nice, I'm like, damn it, you lucky bastards. Um, Except
1: for for the fires and earthquakes. Yeah, right, There's that
0: pretty nice here yeah so uh 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 one thing I you know I, I thought that's I've always wanted to ask because I think it's it's really interesting was was a story like dead-end kids which is like a a, a coming-of-age story there's you know it, it's a it's a drama if you will was that hard to get made as a comic book because you know it's not it's not you know your typical you know superhero comic it's not yeah, a superhero no. comic book
1: yeah i mean in in a lot of ways it's it would be a hard sell i think versus when i pitched it uh two years ago or more at this point um it would be an easier sell now with like things like paper girls having done really well and stranger things like the kids on bike genre kind of flourishing i think amazon's got an original book called uh, youth that did really well for them um so i think that at the time, it was much harder sell than it would be now. I still think books like that are a harder sell than, than you know, a, a, a all-out crime book or a heist story or, or you know, superheroes or whatever. Um, I think I set myself up to make it easy, though. Um, first and foremost, Grief uh, was also published by SourcePoint Press the, the year before and did really, really well for them. Um for everyone listening grief is it's a short story collection it's the 10 short stories that I wrote first in my career. I put them together as a collection um, and it was critically well received um, and it sold really well for it was. An- anthologies are really tough um, talking about the grieving process and and heavy topics like that can be a really hard sell um, but the book sold really well in previews. I t- went to about 20 conventions that first year. Um, and and just grinded and grinded and made sure people were taking copies home and we were selling 50 60 copies a show Um, and we sold out the first print run of three thousand copies in a little more than a year Um, and i think that that showed source point that i'm committed and and that you know if i could sell a book like that that is a tough sell um, and make it work that whatever the next book is it it It'll be the same thing. I'm going to give it the same amount of dedication and, and, and push it just as hard. Um, so that really set me up internally at my publisher to to be able to pitch off sort of the, the beaten path books if I wanted to. Uh, the other thing I did that I'm a big proponent of uh, is I had the book finished when I brought it to them. Um, I had the all three issues, colored, lettered. Uh, ready to go to print like they could have accepted it the day we talked about and sent it to print that afternoon and like there would have been no no speed bumps along the way which um for anyone listening who wants to make a comic the more of the comic you have done the better your chances are of getting it picked up it's just um, especially at a smaller medium publisher like the easier you can make it for somebody to say yes the easier it'll be for them to say yes like it's common sense um but uh yeah it's uh it's the goodwill helped. Uh, having the book ready to go helped. Uh, the turnaround time on it was really, really quick. Uh, I pitched it to them, I want to say in January, or February of 2018, and it, it came out in July. Like that's a really, really fast pickup and turnaround time, um, <clears throat> which yeah speaks speaks to the agility of SourcePoint Press and, and their commitment to to making books happen when they believe in them. Um, and then it yeah it went on to be. I think their highest selling book ever. Uh, actually, it definitely was their highest selling book ever um, and turned out to be a pretty good gamble for them. Uh, but yeah, just like I said, uh, showing people that you're committed and that you're a hustle, like people notice stuff like that. Like I very regularly get people reaching out to me, um, some of them from, from larger publishers saying, hey, we, we see you're a grinder, you know, you're on our radar, like keep it up. Uh, and that's, that's always good to hear. And then just, you know, over-preparing like having the book done and, and making it really easy to say yes was was incredibly helpful in that situation and it worked out for everyone
0: yeah and i think that goes back to what you know how we started um kind of this conversation and how you're always constantly kind of you know advocating for yourself and finding ways to market yourself it definitely goes into not only um source press wanting to say yes but the success of dead end kids and um you getting on radar you know the radar of uh, some other publishers um yeah, yeah. and i know if we I could
1: sorry i don't want to no you no off, no no just, go go on yeah go. Uh, on. Just, i want to build on that idea because i think this is really important um it a lot of people really shy away from talking about like what they've got going on and because they think nobody else wants to hear about it and and and, and nobody cares and that you're just kind of filling their facebook feed with noise or, or wherever you're talking about and i think that that is bull crap like that is that's a like a defense mechanism it's a lie we tell ourselves because we're we're not confident um and and you know having confidence in your work is is a, a different issue entirely but i think one of the most important things you can do is talk about your work and talk about it often and talk about it in in a way that gets people excited about it like, like, like i was saying earlier like you could be alan moore and you could have Watchmen, but if you don't tell anybody about it no one's ever going to know um and I and I can you know with with any amount of certainty I can say that this is the way to do it because just this year I've had people who I'm connected with on Facebook um, at two different big publishers like one of them really big uh, reach out to me and say hey been seeing what you've been posting like keep it up um, it's it's not falling on deaf ears and you know it's led to two opportunities to pitch books at bigger publishers and if I wasn't talking about what I was doing and, and getting people excited like know, those doors would have never opened. Uh, will those opportunities pan out? Yeah. You, know, you you never know, but yeah you know, it's that's less important than being able to get the opportunities, right? Once you get the opportunities, you can continue to get the opportunities. But if you never talk about your stuff, who who's gonna be at Marvel or D C or or Dark Horse and be like, Hey, this guy, you know, he's he's putting good at, good stuff out and, and I've seen it and like let's give him a shot. And and I, I won't confirm or deny that those are any of the publishers
0: yeah no no worries uh i guess you know i I think it's super important that people people hear that you know if you're not your biggest cheerleader you know no one else is and uh i guess if you could give like one tip away for how to um you know someone who isn't really good on social media or isn't really good about talking about their work if there was like one tip you could give someone you know what would it be to kind of help them out
1: the the not being good at social media thing is it's hard for me to speak to cause I'm just so ingrained in it and I've never struggled with it. Like some other people do. Like I just, it's always been part of my job. So I kind of, um, uh, have adapted. Um, I would, but I, I would say, like I was saying earlier, audience acquisition, like your readers, your fans, like that is your responsibility. You need to go find them. They're not going to find you. Um, and we were talking earlier about you know being in Facebook groups and, and, and being engaged. Like I spend a lot of time on Facebook every day hanging out in the the groups I'm a part of, the different retailer-exclusive groups, the, the different collector's groups, and engaging those people and getting to know them and building relationships. Um, I've got a, a really robust you know, group of people that I, I have connected with and, and engaged with and who I'm on the radar of. But that didn't happen overnight like this i've been doing comics for four and a half years uh it'll be five years in april and it's been an uphill battle but it's little by little right like you don't need a thousand readers tomorrow you need one new reader today um, and if you do one new reader a day for three years you'll have more than a thousand um, some days you'll get none some days you'll get a few more and it's not really something you can measure but if you are constantly out there talking about your stuff, finding new places to talk about and new people to hear about it, you will slowly onboard those people and and build up a fan base and and a group of people who who like what you have to offer. It's not going to be for everyone. Maybe it's not going to be for a lot of people, but as long as you're little by little adding more and more, it'll eventually amount. And and that's that's the, the truth of building anything. Like you don't you don't just do a stroke with a paintbrush and get the Mona Lisa you spend 40 years honing your craft and building up skills and, and building towards it and then then you put in the hard work and it happens the same thing's true of making a comic the same thing's true of building an audience the same thing's true of finding success
0: yeah I think that's really important right like a lot of people want to have their, you know, their magnum opus right out of the gate, and, and just have everyone, you know, don't do it. No, it's it's incredibly difficult and time-consuming too. <laughs> like that's it's really hard. Uh, but like I have talked to a lot of you know uh, up-and-coming writers, and I, I've tried to give my two cents with uh, you know um, what I've gone through as you know uh, independent you know creator myself. And the one of the biggest lessons I try to tell them is just start small, which I think is really, I think what you did with grief was uh, really kind of brilliant. Is you did start small, you got a bunch of little things knocked out of the way and turned it into kind of one big uh, thing. Uh, was that something that you were planning on doing with grief, or was it something that after you had all of these stories, you decided to kind of put them together?
1: Uh, it was definitely not something I planned. Um, <clears throat> I. Took that comics experience class in <clears throat> excuse me, uh, April of twenty or from February to April of 2016, um, and I and I left that class with a polished, edited script that I had gotten feedback from Andy on, and and that I was confident was good. Um, and for the rest of 2016, I I wrote and connected with artists and and was was putting out these these portfolio pieces, these five page stories uh that i could you know spend a lot less money on um than making a miniseries uh learning craft learning like my process learning how to to work with collaborators um i always i always liken it to going to the gym right if you want to go in the gym and you want to get real buff and you want to put up 300 pounds on the bench press you're not going to walk in a little skinny ass guy on day one and do that you're gonna get in there and you're gonna the the bar on the bench press and you're gonna do the forty five pound bar and then you're gonna add weight and then you're gonna add more weight and over time you'll get stronger and you'll keep adding weight and you'll get eventually to your goal if you keep at it. For me, five page stories were five pound weights and now I'm doing hundred and twenty pounds, you know, hundred and twenty page stories and more. Um so like that was that was what I was getting at when I started. I just wanted to get better and, and use these little pieces as you know ways to experiment and, and grow my craft, um, but also build up a portfolio. You know, I I had to kind of not realistic ideas about what it would get for me back then. I thought maybe if I had a, a strong portfolio, I could get a like a five page story in a Marvel annual or something. Which, yeah, it's not unheard of, but it's not really a a legitimate likely path forward for most people. But I you know, it's. it it got me where I needed to go and I put together this portfolio Um, and around the time I had written and produced five or six stories I kind of printed everything out on on, you know printer paper and laid it out on the office floor of my house or uh, and and kind of looked at it in in space like what 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 had I written how did the things kind of fit next to one another and I was looking for opportunities for what I would want to do next yeah do I have I, have I done a sci-fi story? Have I done a a magic story? You know, what, where are the holes? Where, where can I improve? Um, and as I was moving those pages around in real space, I started to realize like they kind of mapped to the five stages of the grieving process, which is something that's always been really fascinating to me. Um, uh, Oh, what's his name? Um, Oh, I'm going to lose it. Uh, He, a writer whose name is escaping me and will come to me, uh, did a five-issue miniseries when Captain America died in in Civil War. It was called uh, Captain America uh, Fallen Son or Civil War Fallen Son. And it was five one-shots. Each one dealt with a different Avenger dealing with one of the five stages of the grieving process. Um, And I always, Lowe, that's his name, Um, and I, and I always liked that idea, like that organizing principle for how we grieve. Like it's, it's not perfect. It's not the way everyone experiences, but I liked the idea of the structure of it and it always stuck with me. And I kind of recognized it in my own work. And at that point I started planning stories, um, to kind of fit that mold. Um, and about the same time I started to realize how expensive it can be to make comics, um, you know, even at the indie level, when you're not paying like Marvel and DC page rates, like it's still really expensive, especially if you're not selling comics to, to bring in income to kind of supplement the creation. Um, so I, I started getting this idea that I would do something, uh, you know, a Kickstarter, uh, an Indie zine, something to kind of make some of the money back that I was spending so I could reinvest it in making more comics. Um, and, try and make it more sustainable cuz remember I wasn't working that first year or not full time um so uh I got the idea to create the grief anthology short story collection and do it as a a, a Kickstarter kind of around the same time um but it wasn't something that I had set out to do um that it, it kind of you know serendipity came upon me and and also by necessity right like I said it's it's really expensive and um I, I did it as a digital-only Kickstarter, so like it had very low overhead, and, um, a lot of the sort of rewards and assets I, I made, and it didn't really cost anything to produce them. Um, and the, the Kickstarter did incredibly well. It made like three times its goal and, and was funded in 10 hours. It was it was a pretty wild success and, and an atypical one because of the digital-only format. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's sort of where grief came from. It was a, a lot of different things. It was me experimenting. It was me sort of realizing what it could be and, and realizing what I needed it to be at the time. Um, yeah and, and I think that like you're saying it's it's smart to start small because it's cheaper. you can make mistakes, uh, you can have a portfolio and, and you can build towards those bigger things.
0: Yeah and I think Justin Jordan has said something similar to, to this and kind of what you're getting at too is that um, grief was then your your greatest business card right you could give that to yeah. other people you use that um as a as a proof to source point that you you know you could deliver the goods and it allowed you to get dead ed kids out which allowed you mm-hmm. then to get no heroin out which is allowing you to do you know uh your next projects which i know we talked about before you came on uh you kind of wanted to talk about uh something new that's coming up
1: yeah so um well first let me let me say that uh you brought up Justin. Uh, Justin's a friend of mine, uh, and he was actually one of the first people I ever met in comics in a professional capacity. Uh, in April of 2017, when Grief was on Kickstarter, I went to my first convention as a, a professional creator uh, to, to network and, and, and mingle and, and make you know meet people. Uh, and that was actually C2E2, your, your backyard. Um, and Justin was one of the people on my list of uh, people I wanted to connect with and... and uh, He's he's been, he's been a, f- a friend ever since. Uh, we're not we're not super close or anything. We don't hang out, um, but we see each other shows. We 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 chat. We get along. Um, he was one of the people who uh, read Dead End Kids uh, when it was before it was being promoted and, and lent a poll pull quote for it. Like he's he's a great guy and I, I love him. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, we are recording this in advance. Uh, but by the time everyone hears this, uh, we will have announced uh, a follow-up series to Dead End Kids, uh, Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm excited to, to get it out there. It's, 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 it's my first sequel. Um, I think it's a better story. Uh, the pitch is pretty cool. It's, it's, it's incredibly personal. I think it's going to speak to a lot of people. Uh, it's the story of three kids in 2008. Uh, dealing with the sort of long-term fallout of 9-11 uh, while having to do a heist uh, which sounds a little over the top but uh, essentially it's it's three kids who are all the surviving relatives of people who died on or because of 9-11 so we've got a character who's the the daughter of a first responder who died uh, at ground zero uh, we have the brother of a uh, an army soldier who was killed in Afghanistan. Uh and then we have a, a young Pakistani American woman who's dealing with sort of the the darker side of America, the sort of racial fallout, um and, and some of the things that come along with that. Um and it's like I said, it's it's a it's a follow up series. It's it's a we took sort of a true detective approach to it. Uh so it's a new setting, new time period, new cast, uh but if you've read the first book, you, you know the, the tone and feel and, and type of story it's gonna be. It's, it's, it's kids, coming of age, crime. Um, this time it's a heist instead of a, a murder mystery. Kind of wanted to switch it up a little bit. Um, but it's also a, a, a fresh entry point because it's a, a new cast and a new place. Uh, so for people who read the first volume, it's more of that, that quality coming of age crime story that you love. Uh, Probably a little darker this time. Definitely a better story. Um, I'm I'm a little bit older, I'm a little bit wiser. Nanad's just growing as an artist every minute. Um, So like we're 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 coming with fresh legs and, and it's it's gonna be great. For anyone who didn't read the first volume, go go pick it up now. It's it's the trade's available. But if you haven't and you won't, um the new volume is is it's a fresh entry point um as much as one can be. Uh, and, and I think it's just gonna be a really good experience. I, you know, I, I set out to tell a story that was about kids dealing with things and, and a crime book, just like the first one. 9-11, you know, it's, it's, it's a cultural touch point that I think affects everyone, especially in this country, every single day, whether we realize it or not, legislation that's been passed, um, sort of different zeitgeists that we've gone through over the last 19, 20 years. And I and I think that um, it's it's something that I've thought about and, and lived with for a long time now, um, and 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 really impacted me in ways that even you know nineteen years later, twenty years removed, um, I'm still realizing every single day. Um, that all said, I I told myself early on that the the point of the story was not to kind of like make 9-11 porn uh, for lack of a better phrase it is it's there it's part of the story the story set seven years later um i i made it a point not to show it a lot to 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 bring it on every page and make it be part of every line of dialogue um we, we established that this is this is what's affecting these kids um and then we move forward and i leave a lot up to the reader to interpret and and bring their own sensibilities about the everything to it uh and i, I wanted to make sure we did it in a really respectful way that didn't make it about that thing but about how it affected people um and and i think that we were really successful in, in balancing that out and, and and telling a really good story i was just proofing Uh, the last script for for Nainad before I send it to him for for art Uh, and I I think that this is I'd be surprised if this isn't my best selling book but also the book that is the the best received Um, I think that it's a really special book and I think that it's going to speak to a lot of people
0: man that's uh that sounds awesome like i'm already like intrigued i can't i can't wait to read it as a fan of, of your work and a fan of the first dead end kids um it seems awesome and i love the the uh kind of true detective approach to it kind of same same general overall tone and feeling uh with a new set of characters and cast i really think it's interesting too that you chose uh 9-11 which is this like big kind of cultural kind of turning point uh, for this one. And the first one had Y2K, which was a very similar uh, feeling where the was like this, these big, uh, I don't know, like uh, seismic, you uh, use words zeitgeist, so I like that word, I'll use that. These big zeitgeist mo- uh, moments in our, uh, in our culture were those things that um, you've always kind of saw yourself working with or just kind of worked with the overall tone of the book you're trying to write.
1: Uh, you know, it's, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll be honest. Like I'm not far enough removed from, from the suburban job yet to kind of have that kind of wide view of it. Um, I do know that when I was writing the first volume of Dead End Kids, um, the kids in the book were a little bit older than I would have been in 1999. Um, I was born 87, so I was 12 and they're 13, 14. Uh, so like, Th- their maturity was just kind of like a, a step up from, from what a 12 year olds would be. And they were kind of getting into the, the next phase of their life, uh, except for Ben, cause he died. Um, but uh, the, with the, the kids in uh, the suburban job, uh, when, when nine 11 hits, they are four, five, six, um, And, and the story jumps forward seven years to when they're, you know, 14, 15, um, or maybe maybe I got those those ages and dates wrong, but uh, they're 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 in their early youth, uh, maybe six seven, and then they're in you know the first year of high school when when the book picks up, um, and and I'm a little more in tune with that, um, so you know I end up being a little bit older than those kids would have been in in two thousand eight, but I can look back at it a little bit differently. Um, so the the Y two K stuff is like I was saying earlier is a little a little fuzzier for me than it was for Nanad. Um And and uh, the sort of zeitgeist around it is it's part of the story, but it's not the the engine of the story, uh, similar to how uh, 9-11 ends up being the emotional engine for The Suburban Job. Um, so I, I'd say that uh, with the first volume, it was less intentional and more about bringing something of the time period into the story, uh, exploring something that yeah, I'm obviously aware of and lived through, but didn't have as much a grasp on as I did something like 9-11, which I was older and I lived through and, and have thought about for a lot more of my life than I did something like Y2K. Um, I think you know for, for every story, I, I, I try to find sort of a high level really relatable approach that makes people, it makes it easier for them to connect. Uh, So so with Dead End Kids, yeah, Y2K was part of it. And and, uh, there's a a murder mystery element. But the truth is that book is about childhood trauma, like the things that we go through that screw us up and and maybe make us grow up to be screwed up people. Um, And I think that on some level, every person who picks up that book Will have some childhood trauma. Maybe it's it's small and 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 less less you know damaging than you know your friend being murdered or having an alcoholic parent. But you know it's all relative. Like you know just because it's small to one person doesn't mean it's small to somebody else. And we all have traumas, whether they're you know air quotes big or small. Um, with with 11 it's it's more specific. It's a specific kind of cultural trauma that we all have have dealt with like I don't know a single person alive um, who who hasn't been affected by that in one way or another and and we are now at a point where we have kids entering college or maybe entering their second year of college who weren't born when it happened but they've only ever lived in a post 9-11 world so even they can on some level understand um, the relatability Um, and that that's what was important to me it's just making sure that it's a cool book it's a it's a crime book and yeah, you know, the cast is really interesting but like if if you don't care about the characters and you can't relate to what they're going through you're not coming back for issue two like we we're talking about earlier concept brings people and characters make them stay that's that's just my storytelling sensibilities and what i believe about it and like i was saying earlier it, it's
0: it's worked out for me yeah it it sounds absolutely awesome like i'm um, i'm super interested like i said as a fan of the first book um, i'm definitely interested and i can't wait uh for it to come out. So uh, before we wrap up here, Frank, is uh, if you want to let people know where they could, uh, if they're not already connected uh, on social media, where can they find you? Where can they find your work uh, yeah, and all uh, that well, jazz?
1: Well, let's, let's start with uh, The Suburban Job. Uh, the book is, gonna, it was just announced uh, at the beginning of October, depending on when you hear this, that may have been a day ago, a week ago. Um, it'll be up for pre-order in November and December of this year. And the first issue will come out Uh, at the end of January. Uh, It'll run for four issues, so January through April, supposing nothing goes wrong with with shipments and whatnot. So um, if the book sounds interesting to you, um, if you're an old reader who loved Dead and Kids 1, if you're a new reader who likes crime books or coming of age stuff, um, if you like really good emotional stories that are gonna stick the knife in and and twist it a bunch of times, um, definitely check the book out, just go into your shop. Tell you want the new Dead and Kids book, you want the Suburban Job, you want the new Frank Gogol book. Um, any of those will, will get you the book. And, and make sure you pre-order it. Um, with every book I've ever put out, pre-orders have gotten better and better and, and bigger with each book, which is awesome. But every time a book comes out, I've, I've always got people reaching out to me after the, the order cut off. Or when the book comes out saying, hey, I didn't pre-order it, can you help me get it? And I have to I have to tell those people, no. Like That's... the this is a pre-order system. Like this is the way things work. So if you hear about a cool book, it doesn't even matter if it's Dead End Kids' superb job. It can be the new Spencer and Lock book from Action Lab or, or whatever Vault's putting out. Yeah, just make sure you pre-order the books you 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 hear about and are interested in. It. It's super important to every part of the food chain of comics: retailers, publishers, distributors, creators. Um, so so pre-order your comics. Uh, putting my soapbox away now. Um, for anyone who wants to keep up with me, I'm I'm on all the social media, the you know Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, if there's one place I think that you know will give you the most value with the with the least intrusion, I think uh, I run a newsletter. You know, we've got about a thousand subscribers on there, uh, and and it comes out every two weeks, give or take. And it's sort of a distilled version of everything I have going on, what I'm working on, what's what's up for pre-order. Um, appearances if they ever come back you know store signings conventions um it's all right there straight to your inbox uh you don't have to worry about algorithms or anything uh if you want to subscribe to that there's links on my facebook and on my instagram both of those are just at frank Gogol. um or you can um if you're not just sort of like uh if there's no swastikas in your your profile picture and you want to send me a friend request maybe you're a a a future creator and you want to pick my brand a little bit absolutely feel free to send me your facebook friend request um that's just you know frank google like facebook slash frank google um so there's lots of ways to connect i definitely recommend the newsletter um if you want everything distilled nice and easy twice a month um
0: that's that's the best way to do it awesome man well i appreciate it frank it's uh it's been awesome talking with you man and uh you know, yep. I can't wait for Dead End Kids Two to uh, come out, man. That,
1: me either. <laughs> I am super excited. I I think that this is really the best thing I've written, and I, I say that about every book, and it's probably because I feel like I'm getting better with each book. But there's really gonna there's something special about this book. I think people are gonna it's really gonna resonate, and, and it's gonna speak to something that we're we haven't talked enough about, and it's kind of all you know the 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 damage from from that that terrible day and but it, but it's also a cool heist story like you know who doesn't like a good heist story um so i i hope everyone listening who who it sounds interesting will we'll just get out there and, and pre-order it in, in november and december and 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 hopefully i'm proven right
0: yeah i'll put uh, i'll put links to everything in the show notes uh frank thanks again i uh appreciate you uh coming on
1: Thanks for having me. This, you know, it's, it's your Saturday. It's your time. It's You're going to edit this. You're going to promote it. I, I appreciate every part of that because, you know, I just get to hop on and talk and, and you're doing all the hard work. So I, I appreciate you. <laughs> no worries, man. I, thanks,
0: man. Uh, I'm
1: going to stop recording right now.